Smuggling Hope, Episode 15, The Lone Rangers. It was the summer of 430 AD, and St. Augustine was nearing the end of his life. One of his counselors ran to him to let him know that the Vandals, the Germanic tribe from Europe, had besieged the city of Hippo in North Africa. And he asked the, the, the great saint and bishop, well, what should we do? These pagans are, are coming abound. They're everywhere. What is it that we're to do, Augustine? And Augustine just looked at him and said, we'll do what we've always done. We will love them. Now, I think it's fitting to use Augustine because he's the full arc of what it's like to grow up in a family where only one person practices the faith, right? So his mother was St. Monica. And his father was Patricius. Um, and Patricius had his own mother live with the family, and then they had servants. And, um, and Monica, who was the only Christian, remember back then there was no Catholic, it was just Christian, there was one church. And Monica was a Christian, and Patricius and his mother, right, so her mother-in-law, they despised Monica for the most part. And although Patricius was in many ways, you know, uh, at least in the beginning, a nice guy. When she married him, he turned into a real jerk and was unfaithful to her and was a real terrible wretch of a person. And he, again, in keeping with the, the the times, both Patricius and his mother were both pagans. So Augustine was raised in a home where his mom was the only one who really practiced the faith, you know, for his life, especially his childhood, and into uh, you know his his twenties when he would later convert. And then his father was a pagan. But Monica won over all three of them. Obviously, St. Augustine is the most famous, and he has become now a, a doctor of the church and a saint. And then Patricius also is recognized as a saint, but he converted a year before his death. And even his mother-in-law, I mean, I'm sorry, his mother, you know, Monica's mother-in-law, who was terrible to her for a long time, she also converted to Christianity. So what is the secret? Right. So as we talk about how to be lone rangers in our family, how to uphold and live our children, live our faith amidst our children, even if we don't get the greatest response from our spouse or other family, which is not really uncommon right now with all the, the many, many challenges that face people. How do we do that? And so I think we, Monica is a great uh, representative of, of the, uh, the science to all of that. Now, an interesting thing is, is obviously, like, if men practice the faith, the influence on their children is exponential, like something like 70% of children whose fathers practice the faith outwardly, those children persevere in their faith, when only, I think, maybe about 30% of children who see their mother practice the faith contain that faith after, um, you know, adulthood. Now, why is this? Well, in some ways, Again, you know, men have the ability to create reality, meaning if my father said something was real, I believed it to be real. And they have this authority over reality. And uh, it doesn't mean that women don't possess, uh, you know, influence on their children, as St. Monica obviously surely influenced all of these people in her life. But naturally, uh, in the natural sense, men have this ability to project reality. So in some ways, we have to be very aware of that, what we say about our children, what we say about our spouses, because it carries a great, powerful weight. But regardless of whether we're women or men, 
we have our work cut out for us if we are the only ones practicing our faith. Have you ever wondered what the leading cause of divorce is? It's not addiction, infidelity, lack of intimacy, or incompatibility. It's actually criticism. Criticism underlies all the behaviors that lead to divorce. Criticism kills connection between married couples. If you want to learn ways to stop criticizing and start connecting with your spouse, check out heartsrenewed.org for dynamic exercises on how to shape new conversations with your spouse that will give you the kind of marriage you signed up for, all from the comfort of your home. Now, one of the key things here that it becomes very important to recognize is that if we're alone, we have to be living by a code that is higher than ourself. Oftentimes, like, you know, people think about their faith and they get nervous because of the culture or the fact that their husband or their wife doesn't practice or maybe even is opposed to the faith. But that's not that most important thing because these people are not the audience. And we need to remember that. That is the first key thing. St. Monica was aware that the audience in her life was not Patricius or Augustine or her other other children um, who are less famous than Augustine, apparently. Right? Good luck trying to find them out. Um, you know, or her mother-in-law. Or the people probably living in her local town. The audience is God. And that that uh that desire to please God and the image of who we want to be should we move to being able to be pleasing to God is important. So we really have to be aware of what it is that we're supposed to become as a man or woman, husband or wife, because that image, that image will be formed through the audience that is God, right? The man that I want to be, right? what is that person like? You know, the woman that I want to be, what is that person like spiritually? And how does the faith, how does my relationship with Christ influence that? And so we want to be on track with that. That is a key thing. If we become too focused on our spouse, if we become too focused on our children, then we become focused on outcomes that we cannot control. In psychological terms, you know, we, we call that the logic of consequence, right? If I say this, what will my kids think? If I say that, will my husband be interested? If I do this, what will the neighbors think? That, that will make you always anxious because that logic of consequence puts your, your confidence and your, your, your ability to um, you know, uh, achieve things, your, your, your main source of confidence is based on outcomes you don't control. You do not control whether or not your spouse is pleased with your decision to go to daily mass. You do not control whether or not you know, your kids understand why you went to confession or why it's important to pray at mealtime. That's just, you know, you know, but what you need to do is instead of using that logic of consequence, I'm sorry, yeah, that logic of consequence, we want to use a logic of appropriateness. And the logic of appropriateness means that I go inside and I think about the person that I want to become. And I think about like that person that I want to become as it's pleasing to God. And what does that person do? Well, that person now no longer can be held down or held back by these people because they're not, uh, that's not my God. And so, you know, as I've talked about on this on the show at one point or another, is this image of who we want to be, this person we want to become, is essential ingredient, right? Because without that, there's there's no breadcrumbs home, there's no direction, right? It's just just running around, doing things, looking for a technique, 
looking for some kind of practice that's some magical thing where you're going to read it in a book. The truth is, is that, well, there is a book and that, that is the Bible and, and the gospel, but it's not a technique or a practice that's going to get people to fall in love with the faith or going to encounter Christ. If they're going to encounter Christ, they're going to encounter Christ through you. You have to become a certain type of person, namely a person that's like him. And that is, is hard work, but without the image, you can't do it. And so anything that takes you away from that, or disrupts your ability to cultivate that. Well, that's, that's not, not going to be helpful. So we really need to be clear about who the audience is, you know, because your spouse, whoever they are, they're watching you. Your, your children, they're watching you. And the gospel you practice, especially when it comes down to, you know, your relationship with your spouse is key. I, I tell people a lot in counsel, especially when their spouse does not practice the faith, or maybe they practice a completely other faith, a different faith, like Hinduism or Islam or Buddhism or whatnot, or maybe they're an atheist, is that it, it's important that you know the individual who is the Christian needs to love Christ more than their spouse first, right? Because like I said, Christ has to inform your behaviors. And so, um, you know, that's that's a key. But the second component is that from that relationship with Christ, you must figure out how to love your spouse even better, even better. Because if your children don't see love, well, then the faith is not ever going to be attractive, right? If, I mean, love is really what converts people because you become a person of love, right? And love is not necessarily, like I said, it's not a technique. It's not a practice. Love is both a person and the embodiment of Christ, and he can animate you. And so it becomes super important that we have, again, key, key thing, like Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you need a relationship with Jesus that informs your behavior and that, that love that he has for you and that relationship and that relationship maybe that you even have in secret informs your actions with your spouse so that your children see you loving uh, that person, you know, in an intense way. Now for you to be free to love that person and to have the bandwidth to have the energy to do that, you have to be, again, living consistently with who you want to be. Because if you are not lo loving yourself, if you're not in love with your life, well, then that's an issue. A lot of people, they're like, well, my husband, my wife doesn't practice the faith, and somehow that's diminished my life, or they're Protestant, or whatever it is. You know, that's diminished my life. Well, my, my, my problem with that in some ways is that, you know, Christ has to be sufficient. Nothing else will be sufficient. Nothing else will suffice. And so just because these people in your life don't practice the faith does not diminish Jesus Christ. You may have made a decision, which may be very difficult, but you still have infinite ability to practice the gospel. You know, Christ is not limited um, by people's judgments. Uh, you know, remember they killed him because he, he didn't have enough judgment, apparently. But we continue to put limits on Jesus. So you, you need to have a relationship with Jesus that informs your activity uh, and your love for your spouse. But to have that love for your spouse and to be free, you have to have a life that you've designed that is, you know, something that you're in love with. So a lot of times people are like, well, my spouse does this or they don't care about church and they won't pray the rosary. And, and that's why you haven't gone for a hike in a while. That's why you've given up exercise. That's why you've stopped reading. That's why you've stopped volunteering. That's why you didn't take the kids to the cathedral or you didn't, you know, you know, you know, read them this book or introduce them to this podcast on whatever, because you were, why, why did you stop being who you are? And that's why, again, 
If you are consistent with your identity, you will be free and freedom then allows you to love more deeply and more fully. And that's what God wants. And you can love, you know, as fully and deeply as, as, as you're able to, but, but it needs to come from Christ. Um, because again, you know, that's where love comes from. Also, we, when we when we do this, we, we want to make sure that you know the eyes and the gaze of Jesus Christ. Um, he looks at different things than we do. As you as you spend time with Jesus, as Saint Monica did all the time, you know you get the gaze of Jesus Christ and what Jesus sees in people. He doesn't see how far away they are from God. I mean, he knows that. He knows how far they are away from him. But he sees what he's made. He sees what is good. He sees the, the person who's striving. And so if you're living with a person, right, and that person in many ways is, is far away from God or they're not interested in practicing, practicing the faith, you know, we're not going to be hounding them and demanding that they see, you know, that they see things the same way or demanding that they go to church. It's, it's not about that. It's, it's really that you're going to, you know, um, you know, love them and see what's good in them and bring that to the forefront and communicate that to your children. You know, um, but your children are going to ask questions like, well, how come daddy doesn't go to church? How come mommy doesn't go to church? How come daddy says, you know, whatever? So what do we say to our kids when they ask us, why doesn't daddy want to pray the rosary? Why doesn't mommy go to confession with us? Why doesn't mommy go up and receive communion? Well, those, those conversations are going to be different because everyone's situation is different. But we got to stop getting into this habit of protecting people from these realities and also taking the stance that the Catholic faith somehow needs constant protection. The Catholic faith is an aggressive military armament, you know, as is as, as written in the Gospels, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail. I don't think people understand what that means. The, the gates of hell will not prevail. It's like we're a panzer tank. You know, you know we're, we're, we, we are going to crash through the gates of hell. We are going to continue to free the people of this earth from the, the king of lies. So we don't need to constantly be like mousy about the faith. That's why like some of this starts in the beginning with your faith with Jesus Christ, that you have to have confidence in that relationship and in the person you're becoming. If you do not have confidence in Jesus Christ or the person you're becoming, then these conversations are going to be very difficult. And you have to go back to where am I off track? Where have I lost confidence? Because when you talk to your kids, you need to be able to speak the truth with love in relation to your spouse. And so what is that going to look like? Well, let's say like, you know, um, you know, mommy didn't go to go to mass with us or daddy didn't go to mass with us. Well, how come they don't go to mass with us? Well, your father didn't go to mass because he chose not to go to mass. Well, how come? Well, um, at some point I would encourage you to ask him, you know, we're going to mass. And again, we're going to reiterate the reality, we're going to mass to worship our Lord because he's fully present in the Eucharist. And because this is what we are what we, we, we are called to do as, as faithful followers of, of our Lord. And this is, this is what Catholics do. This is our identity. And so we, we do these things, but we do not, we do not make up stories for other people. We do not make people look good. If anything, we encourage them to talk to these people. We want to encourage conversation, right? Believe it or not, kids kind of, I think, see the truth more easily than adults. Because nothing is hidden from children because they're so innocent. So ask them, you know, and you can tell them. Like, and, and if you don't know, you don't know. Don't make up stories, you know. 
just encourage them. You know, if daddy wants to tell you, if mommy wants to tell you why she doesn't go to confession with us, if she, if, if daddy wants to tell you why he doesn't like to pray with us, he can tell you. He, I'm sure he has a reason for that. Because again, we want to, we want to, you know, preserve the, the relationship our children have with our spouse. We also want to make sure that the child understands that this is who we are. Not, not, you know, not we like, like the whole family so much as that this is who you are because you have to live your faith. They have to see you live your faith. They don't need to see you judge other people, you know, but you do want to have them answer those questions on their own with, with the parent, if that's appropriate, you know, and, and oftentimes I think like we're, we're quick to kind of like rescue the kid or rescue the situation. Like we got to make it sound prettier than it is. We have to prepare the kid for reality. There's a lot of people that do not believe what we believe. There's a lot of people that do not believe that Jesus is really present in the Eucharist. We're not going to pretend that isn't true. We're not going to pretend that like everybody believes what we believe. That that is in many ways selling your kids a lie where they're going to it's going to be a big problem later. So that's why I'm very much against giving your kids a bubble because bubbles get popped. But you do really want make sure that your child is aware of the fact that not everybody practices this. Well what, well, what if daddy or mommy practices another religion? Well, they practice this religion. Okay, well, how come there are so many religions? Well, again, that these are big conversations. And believe it or not, younger kids, they may be curious, but they may, they may have the curiosity to start conversations. They may not be curious enough to finish them. Older kids, you know, sometimes like, you know, that, that's a different dimension. And Sometimes you have to, uh, you know, allow them their own process and, and, and give them the space to make better questions um, because sometimes they just like to argue and they want to find ways to not uh, ascribe to ritual. Um, but it's important that people understand that the faith is a choice, that, that Christianity is a relationship. It's not a system of dogmas. It's not a system of just beliefs. It's a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ that is radically different than every other system of religion. Um, because it's it's founded by God. It's not founded by a person with a with a grave marker. If your spouse practices a different faith than you, like Judaism or Islam, or maybe they're a Protestant denomination, we, we don't invite competition. Like again, obviously, if you're married to somebody and they practice a different religion, well, then you should have known this going into it that it was going to be an issue of faith at some regard, and hopefully, there's an agreement with them. And again, that's probably its own podcast episode, but. In those dynamics, you have to at least have a shared goal and what you want to transmit to the children so that you don't hurt each other in the marriage if both people practice fervently. In the case of like someone who's practicing Islam and is a devout you know, Muslim and somebody who's practicing Catholicism or Islam, you know, Judaism or whatnot. But in general, we don't compete. As Catholics, as followers of Christ, we don't compete. We try to live uh, consistently. And we try to live in an attractive way. If your faith is not attractive, there's something wrong, you know. And so judging other religions, judging your spouse, judging your kids' friends, all of that really needs to be getting rid of because you're going to really dig a hole. And one of the big issues with the Catholic faith, specifically over the last couple of years, is because we've been polarized. It's either been like, you know, you know this one world religion stuff of Jesus is one of many many wise men on one end, you know, that's one of the big movements, I guess, of the church. And then on the other end is that, you know, um, you know, this, this ultra right traditional conservative stuff that, 
you know, in many ways uh, cast stones on all of the people that are not playing the organ the way Jesus used to play it. And so that, that, that's very hard, right? So where, where are the people like St. Francis that were radically set on fire or St. Monica, who, again, um, you know, converted herself uh, and, and became a great vehicle of love and, uh, you know, was attractive to her son? Um, I wouldn't even say that he was necessarily attractive in the beginning. I honestly think that Monica was attractive, but she confused Augustine. Um, and I think that a lot of us forget that. Like, I think for a lot of people in this world, when they seek the Catholic faith practiced, especially because there's so much paganism, and people don't see this, there's so much paganism that when people see actual Catholics practicing, they're confused. They've never seen it before. Many of them have never seen it before, especially Protestants, because many Protestants don't believe that Catholics actually practice at all. We're just like the Homer Simpsons of the, of the Christian community. You know, we, we don't, we're, that's the way we're viewed by people outside of the Catholic faith. I'm sorry if you're Catholic and you, you don't understand that, but the worldview and the Protestant church is that the Catholics are like the Homer Simpson. We really don't do anything. We don't follow any of our credos. Maybe we're worse than Homer Simpson. Maybe we're Homer Simpson with like, you know, pedophile qualities or something. I don't know. But we're not seen as the, the, the spiritual uh, elite that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be mystics and saints, and, and, and that's what we are still called to be. Because we're connected to, you know, um, the, the mystical body of Christ from the head, from from Saint Peter. So again, we do not compete, though. We do not compete, and and so when people get into that, they get into trouble. It's important that instead of that, we look for ways to make a difference. Make a difference in your home. Get interested in the sufferings of your spouse. Jesus would be most interested in that, right? Because once you have an image of who you want to be, what will happen next is you will start to be informed by Jesus Christ and what he wants you to be doing. Because he's not concerned about what people say about him or what people think about you doing a rosary or you going off to confession. Because remember, you have to, you have to please him. And so now you start to play what all the saints play, which is an infinite game, where you are engaged in virtuous behavior that has no bounds. Nobody can stop you. You will continue to play that virtue whether it's hope or whether it's compassion or trust or mercy. You will play that virtue and nobody can stop you, no matter how bad and how difficult it gets. And so people will be confounded by that, especially the people in your home, people of different faiths. And when people like your children or other people will ask you, well, why do we do this stuff? It's important that you get versatile and directing them with every question about the faith, that those questions need to be directing people to personally move towards encountering Christ, whether it's through scripture, whether it's through, you know, the catechism, you know, but when you answer the questions, especially of your children, you don't just kind of free, free wing it or whatnot. You don't need to. That's why we have a catechism. And so instead of like putting this pressure on yourself that you have to be the guru of your faith or, you know, compete with your spouse, you know, pull the catechism off the shelf or open up the Bible and Google something so that you understand how to communicate these realities to your children. And, and you can say, well, you know what, I really, I really um, need to like look that up and I will, I'll get you the answer. Let's look it up together. You know, and, and that's a great way for the kids to be introduced and take the step to be interested in the truth. Because many of the children today are not invited to be curious about the truth. They're just spoon-fed passive nonsense and told that it's okay. And so many of these people that are falling out of, of, of the faith, especially in the home, 
They're brilliant children that have not been given the opportunity to just ask the questions and seek the truth. So give them the opportunity to answer the questions. Again, if they're going to ask the questions, that's a beautiful gift. Just direct them to the catechism, direct them you know, to the Bible and, and what Jesus says. The answers aren't hidden. It's not like we make, we're not making this up. This isn't our church. The Catholic church is not my church. It is Christ's church. And so we direct people to him. And so again, if you're in a family where someone doesn't practice your faith or they don't practice it fervently or they're maybe they're a ba- you know burned out from it or you know opposed to it or a foreign religion, we're not going to we're not going to take that as kind of like an excuse when a kid has a question about it, it's an invitation to meet Christ. Let's go to the catechism, let's go to the saints, let's go to the Bible and get the kid in the habit of that. That way they know how to find the truth too. And that will empower them. And that also may be a way that God is going to reach out to them. But again, if we just say, well, I don't know, or we get defensive, or we get angry, or we get into a debate, you don't need to get into a debate. You know, it's not, it's not what we do. We, we, we love our kids. We just want to invite them into relationship with Christ. Remember, at the end of the day, no matter how well we form them, they will always have freedom. And so we have to keep that in mind. It's, 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 and it's a long game. It's a very long game. Um, far longer than I think many of us want to realize. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you're a married Catholic looking for a way to smuggle more hope into your marriage, check out heartsrenewed.org. There you will find dynamic online resources designed to transform your marriage from the comfort of your own home. The online program and marriage masterclass is designed to fit anyone's budget. You can start today for as little as $1, but we know that your marriage is worth more than that. So stop making excuses and start investing in your marriage today. So so one of my favorite quotes from St. Monica that I had actually on a plaque for a while was the quote, nothing is far from God. And so I, I think sometimes we have to remember that even if your house is filled with pagans, or it's filled with, you know, the the, the modern, the postmodern nonsense, or you know, your kids have the influence of, of the different school system uh, stuff and the anti, the anti God, anti religion, anti church, anti love, anti whatever being promoted. These are still opportunities to find ways to love, and nothing is far from God. And so again. We, we, we want to study what is good in our child or in our spouse and in ourself and promote that and communicate that. We want to do that. We want to reveal what is good in those, in those people and in our spouse and in our children and in our children's friends so that they find themselves attractive when they're around us so we can perfect that gaze of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we really want to promote the truth and the pursuit of the truth and encouraging them. We do not need to be so defensive about the faith. We need to realize that it is a technology. The, the Catholic faith is a spiritual technology that has su- superior uh, use because it was crafted by Jesus Christ, who is God and man. And, and those, those, those gifts and those technologies have incredible power. And so to not give our children that, to not expose them to that is silly. And to not be confident in that is, is silly. So be confident in your faith and that you're living consistently. 
if you've been distracted by your spouse and their setbacks or your own difficulties or your children or your worries about the world, get rid of all that. Get on track with who you want to be. Get in, in the know of what it is that the faith says about, you know, um, who you are and, and how to live in a Christian home. You know, make sure that you remain hospitable, right? That you're warm and welcoming and including people and that you're including them into a place of love and truth, not just into a warm bath of apathy. I find a lot of people just like the warm bath of apathy. Everything is okay. Well, actually, everything is not okay. If everything's okay, you're going to have anxious kids and you're going to have anxious home because everything is is really nothing. So let's not be deceitful, but be confident. Be confident in your invitation to meeting Jesus Christ. If he's real to you, as he should be, you should be very relaxed because nothing is far from God and he knows exactly the time and place that he wants to draw your children closer to him. And all you need to do while your children are in your care and your husband or your wife is in your care is that you need to live consistently with the woman or man that he made you to be and invite those children to meet and encounter Jesus Christ, to educate them, encourage them, you know, have them see the best example of love in that, that marriage, have them see the best example of prayer and consistency with the gospel message. If you're out there online condemning everything, every political person, the Pope, all these different people with all these weird movements and you're out there shaking your finger, your kids are going to be like you, but then eventually they may leave you because you're going to make yourself brittle. All of the righteousness, the righteousness divides people. That's what we've seen. That's what the elections have been about. Righteousness divides. It divides families. Even if you still agree on the same things, you'll forget what you agreed on. So I want you to realize that what we want to do is you know, we need to be, we need to be people who are, you know, righteous in the sense of like St. Joseph, where we are living consistently with who God wants us to be. And we are holy people. Being a holy person, being a whole person will allow us to invite our children into a participation of faith because they're going to see us being in a full life. Even if our life has difficulties in our marriage or our faith with our, our spouse's faith is a difficulty, we will still have a full life. So I hope this helps. Now go out and smuggle some hope into your marriage, into your family, wherever you can. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Smuggling Hope. If you want to maximize the impact of the podcast you just listened to, try to find one thing that you thought was helpful and teach and share it with somebody in your life. When you teach and share what you've learned, it stays with you, and it helps to internalize what we've learned and get that seed to grow. I hope that the seeds of hope continue to grow in your life.